Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, this is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael, and today we welcome back to the show our good friend, Dan Moore, who's a member of the fraternity of Hidden Light and has been studying Hermetic Kabbalah now for, I'm sure, over 50 years at this point. And today we're going to be specifically talking about his course, 32 Paths of Wisdom, Journey of the Heart. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our show again. Um, we've got all kinds of great stuff coming up um, and lots of big news, too. Um, next week, of course, is Spell It Out. Um, oh, sorry. Wrong switch there. <laughs> next week is Spell It Out. Um, and then the following week will be uh, Earl Gray Anderson talking about Men in Black. And unfortunately, we had to reschedule that from last week because we had a, a loss in our family. Our small pet dove that we rescued 10 years ago passed away. So we re didn't feel like doing a show. We rescheduled everything. And then the big news, we're moving to Bakersfield, California from Los Angeles after 26 years. And we have set up a GoFundMe to help a little bit with some of the costs. So you'll find the, the link in the description um, below. And if you can't afford too and you want to help us out a little bit great but we've already met our initial goal and we're excited to be moving we're gonna have a studio space finally so it's gonna be exciting for the show as well um, so you can get all the information on the show on our website sixcentssociety.com s-i-x-t-h all spelled out and while you're there if you can afford to you can buy us a coffee on ko-fi as well which helps with our cost but the main thing is click like and subscribe on youtube and that is the the single best thing you can do and we've gotten lots of new subscribers lately so hi to all of you and thank you for supporting our show so i don't want to take up too much time because again we've got so much to get into with dan so I'm going to kick it back to you. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. And welcome back to the show, Dan. Well, thank you so much. Greetings to the both of you and a happy new year as well. Yes, I guess we haven't really connected since last year. So happy new year to you and your uh, wife, too. So uh, so let's get started on the topic. Uh, now, the first thing I would like to ask out of just sort of curiosity is, when did you actually start working on this course? It's getting close to about two years now, right around two years. And what drew you to decide to actually, I mean, it's a big commitment to create any kind of a course, but, uh, you know, what I've seen of what you've given to me, it's a pretty uh, scholarly and um, I guess not just a simple course. <laughs> so it, it's a pretty much a big commitment. So why did you decide to do it this way? Uh, I kind of like the aspect of using a course, although eventually the form may come out as the, the lessons that are in there are going to be chapters in a book. I don't know yet. It's still kind of a work in progress itself, although the essence of the material is pretty much complete. I felt the need to do this because there is such a drawing to this tradition and because it has had such a lot of influence on our on our Western uh, approach to the mysterious. So now there there are other like sort of in-depth courses, of course, that are about the 32 paths in Kabbalah, such as Boda and also I think even FLO. 
Is this something that is similar or different uh, to those kinds of mystery schools? Well, it's sim- it's similar into the fact that they all go back to one of the oldest uh, Kabbalistic uh, works known, and that's called the Sefer Yitzira, meaning the Book of Formation. And the 32 Paths of Wisdom form an appendix to that work. So everybody who talks about 32 Paths and whatnot, basically, they look at that, and in a lot of cases, with a few exceptions, BOTA being one of them, that they rely on someone else's description. And they also rely on someone else's translation. Well, I have gotten into a little bit deeper than that. And what I'm doing here is to show you new translations. Yes, it is a bit scholarly, only because I want it to be uh, more intermediate. This is not advanced beginner work. This is simply a way of showing you how this tradition is. You feel drawn to it. But all of us have this thing about wanting to make sure that there is a genuine essence to it and that there's something maybe verifiable outside of us, historically, scientifically, blah, blah. And so that aspect I have incorporated into this course, and I've also tried to kind of streamline it and make it easy to use. But the most important thing, since this kind of hermetic alchemical Rosicrucian Kabbalah is the basis of what we have come to know as the Golden Dawn tradition, I wanted to kind of put what is behind all of that together, because there are all these expressions, just like you can have Christianity, the basic story, and then there's all these expressions of it. I wanted to take it down to its basics to explain how that works. And also, I wanted it to be something that does not put out any kind of superiority, meaning that this is something which is not meant to be better uh, or to supersede whatever you've been doing or anybody else's system, but it's meant to complement it and augment it. And uh, this way, I'm very much for us cooperating together, something we really need today, uh, rather than trying to be with a competitive sense. Well, I'm better, or this is better, or no, I understand, you can have your way. It doesn't matter. This merely complements that way. Okay? And that's that's all that I have to say. Oh, this has my, been my first-hand experience and of others, and instruction and guidance from the inner school. We get into that a little bit. And so that is kind of what it's for. I have plans to do another one, which is going to be more practical so that someone can actually begin to experience these levels of consciousness. Because a lot of the old translations, one example for the Hebrew, okay? All of these verses, these 32 verses, they're called in Hebrew seiko. Seiko literally means consciousness, intelligence, and so forth. So for me, the term consciousness all of a sudden relates on a much more uh, comprehensible level to me than calling it an intelligence. Mm. See? And that has been the way most people call it. But calling it a consciousness doesn't violate any of the rules of Hebrew. In fact, it does just what I want the Course to do. It augments your understanding. So that's the substitution for, are you talking about with the major arcana, it's some kind of intelligence, the scintillating intelligence instead. Are you talking about that, yeah, that substitution? Be, that one you mentioned, that's all of the 11th path, and it's usually correlated to the bowl. So we call it the scintillating consciousness, ah. not intelligence. Not, well, that, that is a difference, actually. Very, That's very interesting. 
Now that that alone, I in fact today and for a while now, I've been thinking about uh, doing some kind of series of shows on the different levels of consciousness and what people mean by them. Uh, and I realize that that's kind of a very big topic. <laughs> but but I think they even have. Is it philosophers? I don't know. There, there's sort of traditional uh, universities that are studying consciousness now that have been for a while. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, the thing is, it begins to blur as to uh, what psychology and psychiatry is about, what uh, neuroscience is about, and so forth, because they're looking for this mysterious thing. Consciousness is the magic ingredient, and also the mind. There's people kind of use this interchangeability between the brain and the mind, but they are not the same thing. Right. No, they're not. So so maybe one of the things we could look at, you could sort of tell us a little bit about how the course is set up. Like, is it, uh, I know a little bit myself, I looked at it and read some of it, but sort of tell the audience how it is set up and in general, what each lesson is. Um, one of the things well, people might not know even is why there's 32. <laughs> not everybody well, listening well, will know. We will, we will categorize it a little bit, okay? Uh, because how it's set up is exactly the same way that you saw how the Golden Dawn was set up or any of these other groups that go to that. So on the Tree of Life, and we had one of the diagrams that I have in the course on here a long time ago. I think it was my second show with you folks. We were showing the graphic. But that Tree of Life shows how the various aspects of consciousness, we categorize them in kind of like levels. So we look at the certain progress from Malkut, the 10th sephira or sphere, and all the paths that are interconnected to it, to the seventh one. And those four, we consider those the outer order or the lesser mysteries. What do they mean by that? What does that mean? Because everybody uses those terms. Golden Dawn uses them too. Uh, Crowley and so forth. So the outer order literally is what it means. This is the outer aspect of what your senses tell you is going on. Okay? And it has this aspect of being correlated to the four elements. So we have the expression, which if you want to close it in science, if you want to call it that, Earth is solids, water is any kind of liquid, air is any kind of gas, fire is any kind of energy, including plasma. Because we, we look at it that way. But remember, these things are not just physical. We exist in here, and we have this internal uh, world that we live with, right? The book written within and without, as below or within, as without. So we have what's going on inside of us, and the burden, really, of the first order in order to take you from being a neophyte, a zero-zero, and turn you into a four-seven, which is a philosophist, honored philosophist, by the way, is the title. Mm. Uh, uh, that is a fire philosopher because it's the fire grade. You have to develop something that we will call the art of observation, or more accurately, spiritual insight. Mm. In other words... You want to accurately see what is going on in the dynamic, not just outside of you, but inside as well. That's interesting. I like that. I, I do remember reading that in, in the, the copy that you sent me, and I thought that was very good. I don't know. There'd be kind of there probably would be equivalent in Buddhism to that that I that observation and 
uh, inner and outer. And that, that seems like that could take a little while. Well, it'll take the rest of your life. And it has <laughs> taken a while at this point if you've been a, you know, a, a real pupil of the work. So that's, that's kind of the first part of it, to, to give a, a relationship with uh, Oriental culture. I mean, look how they look at nature, the birds and the insects and whatnot, how they interact, and then how they like to put in more of a human aesthetic or have an interaction with nature in the sense of Zen gardens and so forth. Mm, right. So that can be considered. Now, understand, lesser mysteries does not mean inferior. It means preparatory, really. That's where we all start. That's the beginning. That's what we have to work with. But like we said, there's that out there. Then the next one is called the second order. That was the first order. The second order of the greater mysteries, or what is known as the inner order. And what inner does... order. <laughs> and, and those are your levels of adeptship that you go through. You know, the five, six, six, five, and seven, four. And when does, if you were in a mystery school, when would somebody um, be ready for this? Obviously, the the second one, since the first one is an ongoing thing in your life. When would one be able to take the next leap, or what are the the sort of signs that they're ready for it? I think there's you go. You're you're getting closer to the point. There, we have to begin to see what the goal is of any mystery school, right? To know thyself and to experience the divine directly and and to know that you know right uh so when we have a lot of these mystery schools now golden dollars even my own school you know you've kind of got a little bit the blind leading the blind now there are schools been around a long time private don't advertise and people come to them they find them just because that's where they need to be mm. and the souls they be with and to work with now, that doesn't mean I'm not trying to wash my hands of all of these groups because their, their intentions are sincere, and you can learn stuff and develop. And as far as these feelings and whatnot, that's kind of what a school is meant to do, to teach you how to gauge yourself a little bit and to understand what's going on with you. That's why we give these verses not in their normal sequence, but we give them in the way that this Rosicrucian Hermetic Kabbalistic map shows us. So instead of going to number one, we actually go to number ten. We go to Malkut and the tenth path. Right, and then and it's then and you're going you're going up path. the tree. Yes, you're climbing the tree. Climbing the tree. Right. I always thought it was also because the Golden Dawn system has been respected because they practiced a lot and tested things out at a time where there's no television and Netflix and things that would distract us. <laughs> and I, and not that they had all the realization, but that they had worked it out to such a level that it had some legitimacy in it. Yeah, as you see, they got their knowledge from elsewhere. It was even older than that. These grades are not something they invented in their writings. You can find them back into the 18th century. So what, so what did they, what are the 18th century uh, references? Uh, well, there's going to be a group in Germany known as uh, the Gold Rosicrucians, for example. And uh, there is some work with them, and I reference in that when we get into the uh, part of the course on the Second Order, 
about a very interesting letter that a fellow by the name of uh, Von Lohen, if I believe, you know, I'm going to take a look at that and put it up. But this is a man in the late 1700s who left uh, a chest of stuff to his son. He gave it to his son when he was 22, and he says, don't open this till you're 33. And when he did, the son found inside the description of the society that Lohenfeld belonged to, and also a very elaborate ritual for attuning yourself to all of these 10 grades, because they had the same thing, Zolotra, Theoricus, etc. So that one there, the letter that he gives to him and the description of what the true and invisible Rosicrucian order is, uh, is <laughs> that's a genuine description. Hmm. What happens with these schools and everything like that is people understand and they make a connection to what we shall call the house of the Holy Spirit as they did in uh, the Rosicrucian manifestos or so we call it the inner school, etc. Okay, same thing. And to a greater or lesser degree, someone makes a connection with that and other people do and they're drawn together to work and then all of the rest of this stuff comes. The rituals and everything else like that. Hmm. So that's what you're looking at when you see this stuff. It isn't that the Golden Dawn were these pioneering researchers. No, they were given an opportunity and they said, this is something we need to do. Hmm. <laughs> and that's that's fascinating. So the there's another uh, order, I think, that you talk about too, the third and invisible order. Yeah, that's, that's the next part because the uh, inner order comprises the next three sefirot of uh, beauty, uh, severity, and mercy are um, Teferet, uh, uh, Gevura, and Chesed, excuse me. That's the next three. Those are the three levels of adeption. And then finally, from that comes the invisible source, the literally the source of all being, and that is the supernal triangle, as it's called, or the supernal triad, the top three Sephirot, representing numbers one, two, and three. And that, in fact, is the archetype, the capstone of the building, if you will, or the pyramid, which has that pattern of looking at the divine feminine in understanding or Dina and the divine masculine, which is in uh, wisdom or chokmah, and finally the source of being from that, which is simply called keter, and that means crown. And literally, it is a crown that's visualized as brilliant white light, hmm. brilliant white light, like a lightning flash, or like looking into the sun. You remember, a crown sits on your head. Right. And or connotes a whole level of consciousness. Makes sense. Yeah, that and the supernal triangle gets a lot of uh, attention, I would say, in books and theory when it mm -hmm. comes to Kabbalah, as it, I, I think it should, but it seems like even I knew about it by name early on when I started studying Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. So this is this is how these things are organized, and you can find them elsewhere. And if you wanted it in, in the Old Testament, this this thing about the masters, and you know, as uh, Blavatsky may have called them, the ascended masters, is described as the... Uh, uh, order of uh, Melchizedek, literally in Hebrew, Melchizedek, meaning the king of the righteous, or the king of righteousness. But tzedek's a code word. You can take the word adept and interchange it with tzedek 
for your purposes to understand the esoteric or occult aspects of this tradition, even as it's voiced in the Bible. So in in doing this particular course of yours, uh, in the sense of, is this something that an individual benefits from? Is this something someone could include in if they had a group they went to that they wanted to use uh, as part of their study? Uh, what sort of what kinds of combinations of situations would it benefit when it comes to things like that? Well, I don't know what kinds of combinations because there's a lot of them, but I will say this. That's why initially I put the premise out that this course is meant to augment or supplement whatever you're doing. Okay? It's kind of like uh, you have something which is nourishing and whatnot, this food, and then we sprinkle a little seasoning on it. Hey, that makes it taste a lot better. You know, it, it's one of those kinds of things that it adds on to that and for that we have to learn a little bit of uh, a meaning of words okay and i have that in there it was for me we use so many kind of obscure words words that are based on ancient languages and whatnot when you study the, the occult that uh all of these works really need a glossary to explain these terms so you can understand them you know where they come from what they mean and so forth so when we get into that we are generally described by by science and philosophy sometimes as, as mankind, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's this other term that is human, and they're not exactly the same thing because the word human literally means to be more than mankind. Mm. What it speaks to is all of our latent abilities capacities and our inherent divinity to bring that out and develop it and perfect it so there's the goal i mean this is why anybody gets into this stuff all right to know yourself well i would say there's also uh that deep curiosity that people have about why they exist and what is the meaning of life seems to be at least some of the people i've talked to that are get into anything metaphysical they're kind of searching for an answer sure all those why questions yeah that's why we the term so we talked about the lesser mysteries right the outer order and the uh greater mysteries of the inner order finally the apex of the triangle is what is called the supreme mysteries and that can be called the invisible order because it you, it's it's not tangible because it's wholly transcendent so there's where you're going to find all of these great questions we always ask ourselves where did i come from why am i here why was i born with the people that i was born with and so on and so forth and why did i fall in love and marry this person and other experiences that you have you know some of them are very very negative i don't want to talk about that it is covered in the course but it's a supreme mystery why why did it happen why are we here where are we going? What's the destination? Well, and and is is it possible to answer those questions definitively? Yep. yep. That's what samadhi is that uh, they talk about or uh, uh, any other form of enlightenment, if you will. Okay. You eventually realize that there is an aspect of a human being, part of their constitution, which is absolutely transcendent. And it was never born. 
and it will never die because it was never born in the first place. It simply is. And that fundamental source of being is no different than anything that is turned into a creator deity or divinity. Well, you could also argue, uh, I remember, I don't listen too often to Alan Watts, so I really want to because he's so interesting. And one of the things I was listening to one time, he answers this question about what is the purpose of life? And I had thought this myself. And then he said, the purpose of life is to live. And that's it. And I mean, that's a very sort of Zen answer. But I thought he was, I felt the same way that at some point, and, and yeah. then you have to determine what it means to live. What does it mean to have a life? And what does, what does it mean to be alive and not just kind of go about, you know, like a robot? Yeah, that's, and those are essential elements that the course does touch upon. I mean, if you think about it, they go, okay, uh, what I know that I taught me in school when I came from this little embryo and whatnot, and this is this physical body, and I'm born here with life, I'm not quite sure what's going on, uh, and then whatever animated this ceases, and the body for like 99.9999% of everybody molders away. There's a few that doesn't quite happen to. Mm. That's another story, but it is alluded to and covered in parts in the course. It goes back to that thing about we are never born and we never die. So if you think about it, you go, well, you know, one of the great edges that we get to since we're so materialistic over here is you can't take it with you, meaning you have no rights of possession in anything and that includes your body you know because you're not you you put into it and you're going to lose it can't take it with it now so we obviously exist right somehow even if you get to the whole dark area that i'm the only one exists and everything outside of you in like philosophy is is an illusion or my wonderful dream creation be that as it may you exist and therefore, what is really valuable is experiences, like you said, life experiences and the memories they generate. Oh, that's all this experience is recorded somewhere. I, I totally agree. And, and going back to your original point about some people don't fully die, that that's also a topic I would like to talk about. It's called the rainbow body in Tibetan Buddhism. And then, of course, it's a resurrected body. Uh, which uh, I don't think is just a metaphor because uh, at least the Gnostics have a whole book, the Pistis Sophia, where Jesus comes back resurrected and teaches for 10 years. So <laughs> so I, I'm fascinated. Um, and there are some very good books out there on the concept of that ability to even transcend with a form of your body. I don't think it's the exact same thing, but it's part, you know, it's still like it is your body that a few masters can do. Very few. Well, it's a latent ability we all have, and you experience it on and off and on and off. Uh, let's say this. Have you or Michael ever had any dreams that you could float or fly? Oh, yeah. I didn't mean to imply we couldn't do it, but for whatever reason, only a few people have learned to master it. And maybe that's just a lazy do it side. Yeah. <laughs> do it consciously. Because you're dreaming when you do that. Right? Yeah. And learning how to control your dream and manipulate. It's not easy. I've done it. 
but then it goes on from there. Well, that's a nice ability. How are you going to use it to improve your life or the world in general? <laughs> that's where we come down to it, man. Occultism is practical. How is it going to make things better? You better, the world better. Anyway, so you, I think we all have this ability to begin to see it. And we, I am trying to introduce uh, some new terminology with regard to that. So something comes to us from science, medicine, physiology, right? This is the physical part. We can touch and see this. But around us is this energy field which in Greek they call the aura, means atmosphere. And I like to call it your metaphysiology. And that a complete human constitution is both the physical and that. And that I, I think most people have a sense of an aura because I remember um, seeing this experiment they did where somebody would be at a certain distance with their back turned and um, they could tell when someone was staring at them. And just regular people would feel. And so that's the beginning of feeling the energy body of someone else. And then, of course, you can refine it and move on to see the actual aura like some people do. But I think almost everyone's had that experience of being stared at or know that someone's watching them and they're not paranoid. Uh, yeah, so. yeah that, that happens. And like you said, you call it, they call it the rainbow body. Or in this tradition, they'll call it the body of light. And there's been a lot of discussion <laughs> And in my second order, but well, how do we develop this and build it up and so forth? The tradition is there. My humble opinion, uh, you keep doing at your work and it, you're going to develop it just like you got adult teeth. Right. Just a, it's, <laughs> it's a natural thing. It's a natural order. You don't have to push it. Towards it. I have to look for the right master and the right. Except forget all that. You don't need any of that. You have within you because you are one with everything already. The knowledge of the ages. And that's well, what the odd is all about. Experience. Knowledge is experience. Totally. And that's what the Sefira they don't talk about. That's my 33rd lesson. Uh, and the last one is the odd itself. Because that's what it stands for. Well, I, I think, you know, going back to something you said a little earlier about occultism is practical. Uh, I really like that. We've had this discussion before in different ways on the show of sort of keeping things grounded. And one of the things about, if you want to study very much the, the more scholarly things about Kabbalah and the third two paths, you can end up just letting it consume you without really like doing any kind of experiential work along with it. And in my mind, you get kind of trapped in your head. And, and I did notice that you called your course also the journey of the heart, which I also really like kind of emphasizing, because again, we've talked about this in the past, that it really is about the heart. And um, talk a little bit about why you chose that title and how can people, if they're, they tend to be a little heady, avoid that path of only going intellectually into uh, this, the 32 paths. Um, when we talk about people that didn't do ritual or whatnot in my in my day, we called them armchair occultists. You know, you sit in the chair and read books. Okay, great, wonderful. Now, uh, well, here's the thing. I think anyway that um, the reason I called it that is that's because that's what it is. I give the Hebrew title in there, and in the ancient world. There were no separate characters for numbers, like we have Arabic numerals, or there were Roman numerals, per se. Hebrew 
all the letters have a numeric value. This is true for Sanskrit and Greek, blah, 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 blah. But the thing that in Hebrew, 32 is made of two letters, Lamed, which in Hebrew has a value of 30, and Bet. Uh, by the way, Lamed is uh, the scales, right? Justice. And Bet is the magician, mm. uh, which is two. And that mm. actually spells a word. And the word is Lev, and that means heart. So these are a journey of the heart, most definitely from the ancient time. And if you want to really understand it, I mean, really deeply and practically, it's going to have to come from here. And that I, I know, um, I think it's in the chakra system or the Indian system where the heart's kind of the central place for where everything kind of uh, comes together from the upper and the lower chakras, that there is this enlightenment I, I know this is true of the tibetan buddhist group that i study the the teachings of the inner channels is you're trying to get the upper and lower to meet mm -hmm. at the heart and that's where things happen mm -hmm. and that's why in kabbalah we have teferit which is the heart it's also the sun or stars and it's also gold gold is a very interesting properties anyway it's the same idea that that's where you are. See, that's the central part of the tree. If you just look at the seven chakras, well, counting from the bottom or, e, or at the top, it doesn't really matter. The heart is always number four. Hmm. And four true. is an interesting number in a lot of ways that you can think of. And, you know, we could get into all that, but the, that is, is, is a fascinating thing to see how it does that, particularly if it interconnects with seven, which is the number of the uh interior stars of the chakras that we have what is what does that mean the interior stars the same thing in chakras oh, okay that's, that's really nice i like exactly that the same thing this is more of a western approach to it where we see these interior stars that are related to the seven classical planets mm. and the metals of alchemy okay and that's that's what they're called this is what they are here on this half of the world if you will. And that's why you ah. see all these little people's uh, images in alchemy and whatnot, where you see a person and they have stars and the plants on them. They're all drawing, you know, lines to the, to the parts of the body that they connect with. That's how they saw it. I love that. I, it's just a beautiful image, interior stars. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. Right. It was just in a different kind of wrapping, you know, <laughs> so that's all. But the essence of the chocolate nougat uh, was the same. Well, I would say the other thing I would sort of like to um, look at is uh, there was a couple of sort of areas that you focused on. I think we covered them, actually. Um, yeah, we did, because I was going to ask you about we will never we were never born and we will, ne will never die and how that statement can seem impossible. That's I mean, you did talk about it a little earlier, uh, mm -hmm. but that concept uh, because we all go through death and loss in our lives and eventually we all die. And it's still extremely difficult for everyone. I would say even some of the llamas I know that there is still, and I, I wonder, and I'm only wondering is, is will there ever be a time? Uh, well, Steiner talks about this. The, it was in, uh, was it Steiner's book or was in, um, there was a book I just read recently where yeah. they talk about eventually our clairvoyance will be, We'll be able to see the people 
when they die and actually truly communicate, like more people will have their the ability to do that. And I think if that happened, wouldn't that make that transition more would easier for all of us. I don't think it's really happened for a lot of people. Maybe just, you know, a handful of people can have that experience. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit more than a handful. I recommend a book to you, and it's called The uh, Megas of Java. <laughs> okay. And this is about a guy, you can find him on the internet. His name, as it's given out, is John Chang, hmm. but a Greek fellow, um, Denatus, I believe his name is. I, you can still get the book. Uh, you can also get a free uh, PDF of it. Uh, anybody who wants one, just write me. <laughs> okay. But it talks about this uh, ancient um, Tibetan tradition, not Tibetan, Taoist, excuse me, Taoist tradition in which they developed all of these latent abilities and whatnot and, and how they did it. And it was fascinating. But part of it was that uh, the person eventually could could follow the, the deceased and all the things that they went through. Curious thing about that is in this other book that I have about the Golden Rosencrucians, there was an English publication, I mean, uh, uh, 20th century publication from this group, the Golden Rosencrucians in the 60s, eventually was translated into English. And the process that they kind of describe in there about transition was remarkably similar to what this fellow wrote about in his experiences. Well, I, I know there are people that have, and I actually have a, a friend that communicates with her mother on a regular basis for mm -hmm. over two decades through the dream world. And she does have a sense of well-being. But personally, and I've been in the metaphysical world for a very long time, I have not met anyone that can continually follow. Uh, maybe my Buddhist teacher couldn't, he didn't talk about it because he was pretty... I, I think he could do things. He was very, very low key about his abilities. He never talked about anything. And, but he, you, you know, his students could tell, but here's an example. So he, he passed away, I don't know, three or four years ago. And, you know, everyone's still kind of crying about it. And I thought, well, you know, shouldn't they, especially the students that have been like really connected, shouldn't they be able to communicate with him? Like, why would we continually to be sad if we can really connect and, and really maybe find out what, what happened to him and, even if it's just on an intuitive level, like you have this moment where you feel, okay, intuitively I feel, and it's just, you know, it's not a judgment. It's just a question I have because personally, I just don't meet people that at least talk about that they can do this. And I just keep wondering when it is going to happen for more people. Uh, I think as time goes on, it, it will be more. It's kind of like uh, you take a look at the subjects that were in the movies, uh, you know, even just in the 60s. And you look at them now, and there's much more of this kind of thing about magic and uh, abilities that we have, superpowers and so forth, than we've seen before. You know, there, there's a lot more of that and involving uh, classic myths, like when Excalibur came out. Mm. And for me, I think the thing is, if someone is really struggling with that kind of loss, uh, I'd wonder how much they try to connect on the inner world with with someone that's one thing the other thing is i can kind of understand some grief because in one sense i would grieve because you know if either one of us passed we can't do this you can't be in a body and i'm in a body and we're together in the same place and we're interacting that's done it's over all right when the physical is gone it's gone but there is 
this thing about the inside that there's an aspect of you that's never gone. Right. Because we have those we have those experiences which have been turned into memories, and they always are. And that's the real reason. If you want to, the secret of creation, the big why is for experience of all kinds. Well, that's an interesting like point about we can't experience, you know, the physicality and particularly because we just lost our our bird who was a dove and who really we think was pretty special anyway because she arrived uh, right before Easter and had, you know, the dove is associated with spirituality and Sophia. And so I am there. You do feel this loss of the physical bird, but I'm really actually consciously trying to work on connecting with her. Uh, inwardly, because I know birds are extremely good at at this kind of thing. And that's why they appear so often in all kinds of cultures as being representations of deities. It's it's across the board. Uh, right. So but so it's different. And isn't that a problem even on Earth where we we want to hold on to how a person was when we knew them like 10 years ago and we're we're sad because they're no longer really fun and cool now they're like you know some other personality and we have a lot of pain around it like but they were so cool when they were like in their teens and now they're just a real horrible human being whatever it is and isn't that the same thing really but on a different like a larger level well to quote monty python you're no fun anymore The thing is, it's good to to see how things evolve and whatnot and how you change. And eventually you get to the point to where you don't have these super strong emotional investments and all the stuff that's going on around. That doesn't mean I'm unconcerned, particularly with the stuff that's going on now in the world. But it means that you're not just focused on that in the same way that if you stub your toe, and you swear, and all you can feel is the pain in the toe, and you're just focused on that. It's the same kind of thing. We're beginning to let go of this mental construct, essentially, that we we accept as a reality. Now, going back to a little bit about the course, um, you had mentioned throughout the show or somewhere in the show about this being more of an intermediate style course. And what would you recommend for anyone that might be listening that has never done any Kabbalah or is at a beginner's level? What would you recommend they do to set themselves up for this course? Yeah, well, there's all kinds of books, obviously. But one of the coolest things I saw on Amazon was a set of Kabbalah flashcards. So in other words, they went through, here's the tree, mm-hmm. here's a path, here's the three pillars, and so on and so forth. And it's, well, if you just got them as individual concepts and a little bit on it, and then, you know, you could then use yourself to experience the rest of it and whatnot and not have the same kind of maybe prejudice that reading other people's opinions has, and you have the freedom to develop your own. I like but that. I really like that idea. I love that idea of flashcards. Well, that idea of developing your own, I've read that specifically in both Aleister Crowley's book and Deanne Fortune, they say you will develop your own uh, relationship. And I found that actually very uh, comforting because the way Michael and I have studied uh, Kabbalah, it's definitely our own. And, and that they had said that, I read that, you know, after I'd been doing the tarot for about 10 years or so. And I said, oh, okay, then we're not so far off the mark, <laughs> is what I was thinking. Yeah, well, this is this actually, and I, I go into it a little bit because I like to define some of these terms. 
one of the terms that comes out of the golden dawn and therefore this tradition uh, is something they call the individuality. And the way people write about or use it, it kind of seems interchangeable with uh, the one true self. Okay. And here's the way to think about it properly so you don't get into a conundrum. The one true self, and there's only one true higher self for all beings that ever were, are, or will be. There's only one. But out of that, because it's part of this limitless light, as we call it, the uncreated, uh, never-ending light of being and consciousness, uh, it has the potential to produce all kinds of possibilities, which is you and me and whatnot. And in that sense, that is our individuality, meaning that we have within us um, a goal or a potential. It's like a seed that we bring forth of what the perfect expression of what we truly are is. And that's the individuality. The perfect expression of what we truly are. I think that does seem to be one of the areas that people talk about even more publicly about mm -hmm. being ourselves and knowing ourselves. And and that, that, of course, is promising that people feel that's a strength, you know, and, and, and even like maybe 30 years ago it was some things that people do they couldn't do because, you know, it was too radically different from society. So I, I, I think that has changed somewhat since even when I was younger, more people saying, hey, uh, this is just who I am and, you know, like it or not, I'm weird or whatever they want to call themselves. And and so perhaps that is a, a little bit of a reflection of some of these sort of inner teachings touching people, even on an unconscious level. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, it's the unrealized potential for this great political experiment here. You can be German, Irish, Romanian, which is half what I am, or whatever else, and you could still be a, an American. And I mean, this comes from something else, a, uh, a very wise uh, female adept who I happen to live with says, look at us, look at our face. Now faces have this similarity, right? Two eyes, generally speaking, two eyes, a nose, a mouth, two ears, but we don't look the same. That's but true. there's a basic template that is the same. <laughs> I have a famous relative on my father's side, Rosica Schwimmer, who was a feminist early on in, I don't know, the 1900s, and she's very well known. And uh, she was not allowed back into, she couldn't find a, a place to live in the long run, even in the United States. I don't think she got her citizenship. And she had this quote that was really famous when she was fighting. It was, uh, I have no sense of nationalism, only a cosmic, cosmic consciousness of belonging to the human race. And I loved that. I said, yes, even beyond being an American, just that idea that we belong together on this earth. And at some point, I hope that we begin to think and act more like that. Yeah. yeah well, we're, we're being drawn that way because uh, the thing about having a business and making money and whatnot, while in and of itself is not bad, it can be distorted into extremes where you want to control entire markets and whatnot. Because of this, our economies are now linked together around the world in a way they were not during World War II. So now conventional conflict, like what's happening uh, in Russia and Ukraine, causes economic tremors <laughs> that are cannot be ignored. It affects everybody. 
Yeah, it's and so true. Eventually we're going to get wake up and say, you know, we just can't have conventional war. And nuclear war is not possible because no one will win. <laughs> well, and that, that can kind of go back to this concept of the glyph of the tree of life even. One of the things I love about uh, Kabbalah is the actual idea of the tree of life, which of course we all know that trees are important in various spiritual traditions. And uh, I don't think that's a small thing that you, you call it that and all these different branches and how we're all connected and how the different consciousnesses are connected. Yeah. Well, in fact, tree worship is one of the oldest forms of worship that there is. Yeah. The other thing, now this is just kind of an aside that I've been thinking about when it comes to the paths, the 32 paths. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sort of stuck on this concept of what is a path versus when you arrive at, like, say, you know, one of the, the sephira. So what a path is something we walk on, we're journeying on, and then we arrive at a certain consciousness. So I'd be curious to see how you view the, 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 the slight difference between the two ideas. Well, I would think, because the original Hebrew for this is uh, mezla, and mezla can mean like a constellation of stars and whatnot, but literally it means a drop from above, mm. okay? Kind of like some of these tarot cards you see with all the drops in the background, right? Uh, and it has to do with the kind of uh, consciousness and guidance that, um, how should I say, makes that aspect resonate within you because it exists outside of you as well. And so in a sense, what we have are these things that interconnect stuff. And it's almost like, you know, the old, when you learn the atom, right? These little balls and sticks. Well, that's, this is what the atom looks like. Well, no, it's not. But we have this tree of life that gives us a kind of map or a representation to understand certain relationships in the same way that you would use a map, right? To go from point A to point B. Does the, top, does the topography of the landscape look like the map? No. But is the map useful? Yes. So that's what we have here. This is a map of what the tradition would call the interior kingdom that we have the potential to rule. And and I do recall in some of the Golden Dawn teachings that they can tell on the astral plane where you're at according to what you see there, the types of things you might experience at a certain... And again, this is probably a general thing, not just, you know, an absolute thing. And I thought that was sort of fascinating in that that means it's it, it, it's like a real place in the sense that I'm going to go visit and, oh, you saw some of the same things I saw when I went. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that uh, that's really interesting, particularly when it happens on, on the inner planes and places where you go and whatnot. The uh, other thing is to understand that these places are dynamic and organic and they actually modify as you work with them. To give a quick example, when Dolores Ashcroft Novitki wrote her uh, book on the uh, Shining Paths, that's what she called it, she did all 32 paths. One of the first ones is to go from this world down to the River Styx, and you're helping people transit by going there. But the initial way to get there is this really torturous thing that that is, you know, like it, spelunking in which you can barely get your body through because so it's so tight and whatnot. But what happens, and what I noticed happens is after I did that, I looked back and the path wasn't like that anymore. 
now is a series of steps you can walk up easily and down again. Mm. So I made it easier. And that happens. You, you, you begin to learn this and you're growing on the inside. You're evolving. Do, do people get kind of fascinated with one world and stay there a long time? Oh, we see it all over the place. <laughs> they don't have to be meditating either. I mean, look at <laughs> someone who's really into something so much that literally would take surgery to get them back out again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, yes, that can happen. And that's one of the things that we talk about. Well, you're to be a connector. You have to be able to connect that aspect of consciousness and reality and vitality through you with everything and everyone else. One of the things yeah. I, I noticed in the tarot when I do readings for like the same person over many, many years, uh, and I look at their psychology, there's, a, you know, positions for your psychology. And one woman I read for, I would see her vacillating between sevens and eights all the time like back and forth psychologically. And I was just really fascinated. So I, I called it, what did I call it? I said it was a, a swinging between fear and fantasy. <laughs> so, uh, so, and maybe it was her attempt on some level to try and balance herself, but she couldn't figure out how to do it. Uh, and it was only because I read for her so frequently that I was able to see that. Yeah, and now, 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 now consider this, okay? That all relates to Kabbalah, right? The sevens and the eights. Mm -hmm. So the seven Etzach, or victory, and then the eight is Hod, or uh, uh, splendor, Mercury, actually, and Venus, the intellect and right. the emotions. But what connects them in there? Oh, it's the 27th path of pay, or the blasted tower. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't that work out pretty cool? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. Now I did want to I did want to ask you this is why I'm teaching this is so that you can see it and read this map and so, understand and, it. and speaking of of your course uh how can people get your course Um contact me Okay and, <laughs> and we, we do have, have your contact information on our website I'm working on some cooperative stuff with FLO but that's going to take a little while there's another group called the Inner Garden which is primarily a group of practical alchemists uh based on uh, back east on the east coast, I think, or back east. And I'm going to hopefully be working with them uh, sometime this year as well to promote it there and whatnot. But they do it individually right now. I'm not very busy. So I can take on someone and we can meet periodically, you know, every two weeks or something like that as they go through this. When I can answer their questions and guide them and so forth. I actually have a little group of four people back in Boston who are, are going quite well. We've gone through the course, and they're interested on in doing uh, a lot more advanced stuff, like with uh, the Shemha Mefrash and whatnot. Mm, that's wonderful. Oh, it, yeah. it's, it's not how it's many fun. students you have. It's if the students are interested, I find. Oh, yeah, that's very satisfying. I mean, you have a, a hundred people, you can't relate to them. But you have a little small, intimate circle. I like to keep it down to 10 myself. That's wonderful. You get to know everybody. They get to know you, and you learn from them and so forth. So we have a, a question from Yantri. Is the Holy Kabbalah another facet, or is it the same Tree of Life stuff? It's the same, essentially. Essentially, it's the same, because that's, that's what that glyph is, and there are various geometric patterns that are like the one that's the most popular uh, that are out there, because there wasn't just one Tree of Life. What we see today 
uh, what was mostly used like in the Golden Dawn and whatnot, is uh, the uh, Court of Aaron tree. And it was part of the Kabbalistic school in Safed in the 1500s uh, of Moses ben uh, Cordovero, which means the true heart, by the way, in Spanish. And oh. that was his. And there were others. Isaac Luria, you'll see that one, where it doesn't have the two paths coming down to Malkut, but has the two that are X up on top. That's uh, a Lurianic tree. Uh, there's one that doesn't have anything hanging down. It's a very compact and put together uh, in the same kind of structure that's called the Gra. And generally, that's the basic pattern that is supposedly described in the Sefer Yitzhak. Oh, that's really fascinating. I, I didn't know that, the different sort of kinds of glyphs for the tree throughout yeah. the history. Sure. And it's... I've seen some other experimental things, which are, hmm, I don't know, but these are historical ones. And the thing you have to understand about that, which we talk about in the course, is that there is uh, 16 hidden paths. Well, how does that come about? What is that? The thing is, is that originally the idea of the tree of life is it represented how the various aspects of creation and being interact and integrate and so forth. So originally they used a very ancient symbol, which was sacred to the Egyptians, the onion. All those nice little folds in there, right? Peel back the layers of the onion. But And this they called it um, um, stand, uh, concentric. Uh, mm. uh, yeah. But the one that... We, we see here is Yosher. So you have these thin, same components, but there's some sephira that aren't connected with others. Right. And, and I mean, really, we sit down here, okay, if everything's really one, everything's one together, we're in unity, these things have to be connected together somehow. Ah. So you come up with these 60 hidden paths, if you will, which then interconnect all of those. Fascinating. We'll have to do a show on that. I, I know what you're talking about, actually, and I, I never thought about the concept that they should be connected just naturally because of the concept of one. Right. They are. So the, the thing that gave me the clue to that was actually one of uh, Paul Foster Case's lessons with the BOTA, which he says the hidden paths are always there. Even though it says hidden paths, they're always there. Just have to use that spiritual observation. Yeah. You have to get it at <laughs> this is, this is getting, because it starts out simple, but it then becomes all this very subtlety and complex and, so on and so forth. So I, for me, I'd like to approach Kabbalah in, in this kind of easy way. Uh, yes, this is in reading because I expect you to know what a tree of life is and a few other different things for mysticism or occultism in general. Well, we are getting close to the end of the show, and I wanted to give a thank you to a couple of the people, uh, Yantri and Jadik, who've been chatting with Michael and listening to the show. We really appreciate it. And thank you, Dan, for coming back on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Anybody who's interested in that, I, they just turn to me, and I will send them the first lesson and the course outline and, and what the modest tuition is, although I don't let that stand in the way. And remember, his contact information is on our website. Yeah. The Sixth Sense Society dot com website. So join us yeah. next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great week.